Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to that Chelsea podcast, episode 72, the season so far, part three. Welcome back to that Chelsea podcast. I'm joined, as always, by Jack Davies. How are we doing, sir? Yeah, I'm all good, mate. Looking forward to a, a good review with two quality guests today, so it should be good fun. Yeah, now this is maybe one of the most epic pod lineups I've done on the pod so far. <laughs> right now, I kind of feel like Ned in No Way Home. I'm just kind of summoning, I'm trying to summon the Spider-Man. The first Spider-Man I'm trying to summon, Daniel. Daniel Charles from Football London. How are we doing, sir? To be compared to Andrew Garfield, that's like, that's going to be the moment of the year. So I'm I'm very glad to be here. Um, but I'm not Toby Maguire who you're about to introduce. So, you know, I feel I feel you have got the, the, the metaphor right there. Yeah, no, exactly. And, you know, the second person I'm summoning is, of course, Adam Newsom from Football London. Adam has been on pod many times. Adam, how are we doing? Good, thank you. Good. A little yeah. bit tired, but good. Lovely stuff. <laughs> lovely stuff. Uh, before we get into it, as I always do, guests, uh, I'll get them to give themselves a plug. So Daniel, Adam, whoever wants to go first, you know, tell people where they can find you on Twitter and obviously you know the work you do for Football London. Uh, I'll let I'll let Adam go first because he's annoyed Jorginho Stan, so he has to make up for it. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, at Adam Newson on Twitter. So if you do want to come and moan about me, about Jorginho, that is where you have to go. Even though I really like the guy. And yeah, anyway, we'll get into this, I'm sure. <laughs> yep. Daniel? Uh, at Son of Chelsea is pretty much the place to find all my work. Lovely stuff, lovely stuff. Yeah, no, exactly. If you want to know anything, just check Adam's timeline. You know, we've been told Jorginho dreams of returning to Italy. Now you've had syringed it, and then this summer he'll just have one year left for his Chelsea contract. Could it be a transfer that maybe actually suits all parties? Boom. Who knew that would do so much, so much damage on Twitter.com? <laughs> anyway, we're here to have sort of a look at the season's far because Chelsea don't have a game this week. For the first time in forever, we do not have a game, and it's actually quite nice. So it's given us an opportunity to have a, just a general kind of discussion of what's going on this season so far, 
And also kind of just, I guess, some recent Chelsea news. And obviously we're in January. The lack of January transfer signing, et cetera, is that necessarily a worry? But we are going to just start off kind of just looking at the current situation we find ourselves in. So, Jack, we are in the Premier League. You know, we're comfortably, fairly comfortably in the top four. Uh, third, I believe. Uh, we're in the fourth round of the FA Cup. We're in a Carabao Cup final. Round of 16 against the to come. Uh, obviously, you know, since we last did one of these with Adam... I think at the time we all kind of rated our chance of winning the Premier League about eight out of ten. <laughs> so I think since then it is it has dropped down uh, dramatically. But just kind of your thoughts on, on you know how it's gone since we lasted one of these type episodes. Um, well, we I think we alluded to it last time. We always know that when you support Chelsea Football Club, December is going to be uh, in most most cases uh, a bad car crash. And uh, as usual, that was the case this season. Um, just the whole fixture pile up, COVID cases, things like that necessarily didn't go didn't go our way when we were struggling to pull a squad together and the Premier League didn't didn't decide to uh, give us postponements, etc. So I think it was a diff- difficult month for us, but on the whole, when you look at it, we've probably handled it pretty well on the whole. We I know we've played a lot more games than than uh, some of the other clubs now. But going forward, that could potentially actually help us now that we've played a few more games when we're going into the deeper competitions of the FA Cup, the Champions League, etc. We might have less games so we can put stronger teams out midweek, etc. So, um, yeah, it was it was frustrating through December and just see, seeing our, our kind of... Well, I wouldn't even really call it a title charge, just slowly go down uh, very quickly but we're still in a good position I think if you'd asked a lot of fans last 16 of the Champions League uh, final in the League Cup and fourth round of the FA Cup I think you take that just we just want to be closer to Man City I think 13 points or whatever it is now is 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 a is a massive difference and them having won the won the league I think it'll be four out of the five last seasons um it doesn't bode well, does it? We call we we like to call other leagues farmers' leagues, uh, with teams always winning winning the title every season, and it seems like we're kind of slowly turning into that. But on the whole, I think we've we've weathered the storm now and come out the other side. So we just need to kick on now. Yeah, um, Adam. Obviously, you know a lot has happened since we last spoke to you. As said, Chelsea just played a lot of games. COVID's been an issue. December's been an issue. Injuries have been an issue. Losing absolutely vital players how do you think Chelsea kind of cope with this as you know Jack alluded have Chelsea actually kind of cope with it fairly well because obviously there was a stat the scary stat I saw I think you know after we drew Brian but this sort of run of form we had was actually felt was very similar to sort of Frank's you know run of form but he suffered at the end of his reign but I guess the main difference was that the draw we actually you know instead of losing a lot of games we've drawn a lot of games which has kind of made the mood certainly around the place feel a lot more different how have you kind of just assessed so this this difficult period Chelsea have managed, and how how do you feel they actually navigated it? I feel they've navigated it fairly well on the whole. Um, there are a couple of games that we can all point to. I think in the run where Chelsea should have done better, um, namely Everton at home, um, because Everton basically had half their academy in the team and <laughs> and on the bench. So yes, Chelsea have have had a tough time of it, and there's probably. Maybe I think you could actually make a case that there's no two players you'd rather lose in this Chelsea team now than Reese James and Ben Chilwell. 
Um, I've you know I've always looked at Ingola Kante as the MVP, but we do have other very very good midfielders. Whereas the depth at wing back isn't as strong as as maybe as as, as in midfield. Um, but I think for the most part you have to look at it rationally, which I know is not always easy for supporters for understandable reasons. And think that Chelsea have managed to do a fairly good job along the way. Um, with a caveat, yes, that they have. They have let themselves down a couple of times um, just with performances when when they should have got wins. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd say they've handled it well, but they, they could have handled it probably a little bit better as well. Fair enough. Daniel, obviously, you know, I saw you sort of about, I can't remember, it was last week. So uh, Gary Neville made some comments. Obviously, he was actually a bit disappointed with, you know, Chelsea, the fact that we'd kind of fallen so far off the pace of, uh, of Man City. And while, you know, there were some, like decent points, but I did think you know maybe we're slightly ignoring in some some crucial context about just how you know many injuries have had the fact that some teams have had games postponed when we've had a more valid case. Just kind of what did you kind of make of of Gary Neville's comments? And like, is it disappointed you the fact that you know normal service in a way has resumed in the fact that we start off strong and then we have that you know sort of December blip that just you know really drags us into almost a top four battle? Yeah, it's almost like you could have seen this coming. Um... Like with Gary Neville, like there's a lot of stuff that Gary Neville says that usually is, I think, is very spot on, and you know, I respect a lot of what he has to say, and especially on like the manager front, I think he kind of goes in an opposite direction to a lot of punditry, which I which I respect. Um, there is a, it's kind of the frustrating thing. I wrote about this earlier this week. Um, I can't remember what exactly the tone of the article was, but I was sort of referencing the fact that I think people, I think it was the Gary Neville article I did actually where we kind of want perfect answers, simple answers to why things have gone wrong for Chelsea. And I think in previous seasons, at least the last three or four seasons, there have been more easier explanations. You know, Antonio Conte, it starts to go wrong with him. Uh, the players don't look like they're enjoying their football anymore. Um, Maurizio Sarri, I think it's kind of a similar case. Tactical things have gone wrong. You could probably say the same about Frank. It's it, With this season, unfortunately, you can't help but feel like that No. The, the Juventus game is the turning point in Chelsea's season in terms of the, the, when Ben Chilwell lands awkwardly at 4 0 up. It kind of dampens the mood a day later. And pretty much since then, the performances have dipped and we have played a ridiculous number of games. You can say that Chelsea have an amazing squad, which they do, or at least the depth of, of the squad. We've got an amazing academy that we probably could have used a little bit more. They're there has been times that I've been frustrated with Tuchel not making subs. You know, if he's making a big um, song and dance about Chelsea's exhaustion in press conferences before a game, but then against Brighton waiting for like the 80th minute to make subs, you know, I, I that that doesn't really, it, it doesn't sound consistent to me or doesn't look consistent to me. So there is that, but also Premier League uh, shot themselves in the foot with the inconsistency over why games were suspended or why they weren't. Chelsea had a very valid reason based on the Premier League's own rules why that Wolves game should have been suspended. That Wolves game should have never gone ahead um, based on their own rules. And, and a month later, you know, we're seeing games being called off because of AFCON. We're seeing games being called off because player, because clubs are, are dealing with injuries. Um, it's just a bit of a nonsense, really. And um, there is that context of losing Ben Shaw and Reese James. And, and I was speaking to someone who's uh, a Liverpool fan and he was kind of saying... It's like obviously Liverpool losing Trent Alexander-Arnold and, and Andrew Robertson for a, the rest of the season. That would have been devastating for their creativity. Think about in the 1920 season when those two players were amazing for that team apart from the front three. 
So unfortunately, we don't have all of the simple things to go, this is why it's gone wrong. I think my frustration in recent weeks has been more so those fundamental underlying things that I've seen for several years, more so in terms of recruitment, um, players not performing to the level we would have hoped. You're looking elsewhere, not only at loan players we've got elsewhere, but you know just across the league and seeing in the in the final third more prolific players. Um, and you're wondering why Chelsea, after 300 million of investment, aren't getting same similar things. Um, and also the squad depth. Why are players being brought in? Why, when we get Ben Chilwell and Reese James injured, which are devastating injuries that we couldn't really get round, the players that then come in for those for those two aren't at the right level to facilitate the typical system. So there are many different avenues I'm sure we can go down in this podcast, um, but I do agree with you. That unfortunately, there are there is COVID, there is injuries, there is the exhaustion from a lot of games. These are human beings at the end of the day, and, and I think you've seen the, the wear and tear, which is why this this break, I think, is wonderful for not only supporters, but obviously the players in Tuchel. Yeah, I mean, if I think, you know, those players and Thomas Tuchel have clearly been mentally fatigued. I think fans have been mentally fatigued, just the amount of sheer amount of games we've been seeing and watching and and let's be real, up till Spurs, quite a few of them in recent weeks hadn't actually been that endurable to watch due to just the level of, of performance. Um, I do think, though, one sort of player who stood out in this period of time, and I'll be interested to know is Thiago Silva. I feel he is a player that has really just sort of carried on being at such a high level, but to me has almost, you know, become a front runner for Chelsea's player of the season. But I'd just be curious, I'll start with you, Jack, who would your, you know, current Chelsea player of the season be? Because I feel like when every single time we've done this in the season's far, our, prob- our answer has probably changed due to each international break, yeah. due to something going on. But it now feels to me that Thiago Silva almost feels like a clear front runner. I think, it, yeah, it's hard to look look past the defence and look past uh, Thiago Silva or Rudiger. I think maybe some people might slightly lean towards Rudiger since he plays every single game. But then when you look at Thiago Silva and his age, etc., he can't physically play every game. But when he plays, he, he's just, yeah, he's just different class. When when we're, for example, I remember when we were at the Liverpool game, we were two 0 down, and we were saying he's still the best player on the pitch for us. He just performs to such a high level, and you see this week all the players go off for uh, have a week off, but then he's gone gone to Brazil with national duty. He just he just keeps going. Um, so yeah, I think it's not just his performances as well. It's how him and his family have have taken to Chelsea Football Club. The fans have got a real bomb for him. Um, and you can just see that on the pitch after every game when he clap, comes over, claps the fans. He, he he loves the fans and he's just been arguably probably one of the best free transfers in Premier League history, if you ask me. So, yeah, I agree. I think he's, he's probably the front runner. There's other candidates as well. Someone like Kovacic compared to last season's really stepped his game up. Then there's other players like Trevor's, who's Trevor's, who's come in from two loans in League One and, and the Championship, and and taken to Premier League standard like a duck to water. So, yeah, I think overall Thiago's probably the main man or Rudiger. Fair enough, Adam. Who would your kind of player of the season so far be? I would have, no, I would have to say Thiago Silva as well. Um, just because, as, as Jack said, the level he's playing at, the age he's playing at, it's not normal for someone to be doing this. Um, and yes, Rudiger's absolutely been fantastic next to him. Very much deserves all the, all the praise he's got this season. But I just think Thiago exudes this confidence and just class to his game. And I think we all probably knew that Thiago Silva was a good footballer. We may not have watched PSG every week, but you you could 
you know, just from basic understanding football, you know, Thiago Silva is good. But having watched him now for two, or one and a half seasons, he's phenomenal. And it makes me wonder how good he was when he was 30 or 31. I'm just like, oh, mate, I should have been watching this guy every week. He, he is that good. Um, so, yeah, I think it is an easy choice, really. Partly because he's, he stayed injury-free as well. Um, you know, most, he's had COVID, missed one game, I think it was. But most of the other guys you could maybe throw into it, like Kovacic has had spells out. Trevor has had a spell out. Um so Thiago has been there with Rudiger, so it, it would have to be one of those two for me. Fair enough, Daniel. Are you kind of going with the general consensus here that you know Thiago Silva, Rudiger, player of the year? Yeah, I think it's between those two. I mean, uh, I thought in the first couple of months, Edward Mendy's, you know, his his numbers were just ridiculous, and you know, you can obviously look at the Brentford performance. It took a bit of time for Mason to get going. Um, I thought we had an incredible December, but really, yet yeah, Thiago Silva is just a joy. I mean. Watching him last season, obviously on TV because of, you know, behind closed doors and a pandemic and stuff, you could, you understand his brilliance. But seeing him live, he just, he just, his, his mind is just incredible in terms of the way he's able to spot something before anyone else does. It feels like, I don't like quoting this guy, but I think it is, you know, very accurate. It's like he, Rio Ferdinand said, it's like he's wearing slippers out there. I mean, it really is. He he looks like he's just taking things so casually, and it, it's the years of experience, and it's it's things you just can't teach, really. Um, you know, I just, as Adam said, it's it's freakish what he he's doing at the moment, and it's you know when he gets handed that contract at the start of the year, you, no one's denying that you know that's the right move, and you know you think that at the current level you want him playing for Chelsea as long as he can. Um, because he seems to improve our performances. There's a maturity back there. And especially with such uncertainty around other defenders at the moment, I think it's uh, really comforting to know that Thiago will at least be here for, for another season. Yeah, no, exactly. And I always allude to this when talking to people about Thiago Silva. Leeds game last year, first game with fans back, Dean Mears, good friend of the show, was on. He said, whatever, I, you know, you watch, you go there, you watch Thiago Silva. He just said, if you get the chance, go to Stamford Bridge, watch Diogo Silva play because he is just different gravy. And he is. He is just an absolute brilliant player. And he's been phenomenal. And look, he scored twice against Spurs this season as well. So he's getting a habit for scoring against Spurs, which is always nice. Um, early in the week, we've got the one-year anniversary of Thomas Tuchel's arrival. Obviously, you know that coincides also with the one-year anniversary of Frank's departure. But Daniel, sticking with you, one year of Thomas Tuchel. Uh, it's not been a bad ride, has it? No, I mean, it's... Uh, it... Obviously, I've written quite a bit about it and speaking to people about it and kind of reflecting on more so how I felt about Tuchel before he arrived because it's very easy to go, oh, Tuchel's wonderful, he's brilliant, he's a genius, as we've been watching him weekly. Um, my assessment of him in the weeks before Frank's dismissal was was a lot more negative uh, in terms of reports and, and stuff I was reading about him. Uh, from his time at PSG and obviously at Dortmund, he he was kind of painted uh, painted as this figure that sounded a little bit like Antonio Conte in the sense that he's quite combustible. I mean, that could still happen at Chelsea, but he was also kind of painted as this tactical genius that, especially at Borussia Dortmund, um, I was speaking to Keith Hatchard the other day about his time at Dortmund and that lack of connection he had with supporters. So then you're kind of thinking about Sarri, aren't you? You're kind of thinking about are we going to have another case here where there's a guy who's quite clearly amazing at his job and knows about football and tactically can put out a very competent team. But if he doesn't have that emotional connection with the Stanford bridge crowd, especially after Frank, uh, that's going to be a problem. But he is within the first press conference, which I say is, I, I've said this uh, 
probably too much, but I still think that you should go back and watch the pre-match uh, press conference for Burnley. It was his first one he did. It was after the Wolves game. And it was just masterful. You know, it reminded me so much of Jose Mourinho's first press conference in the sense that he not only wanted to bring people into his project, I think he appreciated and having the emotional intelligence of someone who had never been to Chelsea before, it seemed like he grasped very quickly how serious that week was um, and how serious the decision was to sack Frank Lampard and how much it hurt a lot of supporters. And I think from very early on, he got people on board. And then, of course, you see the results and performances, which are the, the key thing for any Chelsea coach. Um, the way he's transformed players, players that I think I've been writing about, like Adam, write about Jorginho. And if if people would have said in his first season that he'd get to the heights he did last year, I, I don't think many people would have believed you. The transformation of Antonio Rudiger, Andreas Christensen, who, yeah, could be leaving, but he had his best run at Chelsea when I had huge doubts about his ability to play it at this level and just you go across the team there are so many stories like that and it's wonderful now 12 months later the general consensus is that people believe that Tuchel should be given time and should be given you know investment and is the guy we should be backing there's there's a sense of conviction about him when he says things it's not just PR I don't get the sense that he's always saying things for political reasons I feel there's a there's a casual nature to Tuchel that I love. He's always kind of taking the mick out of the fact that he could be sacked tomorrow, which I think was just brilliant after Frank. Um, I sort of wrote in my article that he's he's kind of like the first meta coach. I sort of referenced Deadpool, which was one of my favorite movies. Like he's just, in a sense, he is the perfect Abramovich kind of coach at the moment. But I think his success and the conclusions that we're having about this season and where this squad needs to get to 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 win the Premier League under him. He's kind of challenging, I think, the culture as well, which I think Chelsea have needed for quite a while. So, I mean, listen, he's won, he won the Champions League and that's the most obvious thing we could talk about in terms of the transformational effect, which you could argue, is it better than Conte's one in 2016? Is it better than Di Matteo's? I'd argue it's better than both because I think Conte and uh, Di Matteo had better squads or at least squads with players who had won a lot of of big trophies, you know, Di Matteo took over with, you know, Frank, Didier, JT, Ashley Cole, Petrick, you know, just ridiculous players, uh, icons in Chelsea history. And Conte took over a squad in pre-season as well that had won the Premier League title, you know, a, a year before. So I think that um, Tuchel's just incredible. I, I just love watching how he's evolving the team now. I'm sure we'll get into maybe some of the tactical sort of things he's done recently with, with the formation and, and I'm, I can't wait to see what happens next and I, and I really do hope that it can turn into something even greater at Sanford Bridge for Tuchel. Yeah, I mean, look, Thomas Duke was obviously the first manager in a long time. It's probably just United Chelsea Twitter. Like, I don't think you really see anyone who's like Tuchel out, which is just nice. Uh, and yeah, he is, he is just brilliant. Uh, Adam, obviously you're our man sort of, you know, in the press box, you're the person sort of interviewing him. Just kind of get it You've obviously, you know, I guess been speaking to him roughly about a year now, you know, via press conferences. Kind of what, what's he like just as a person? Because obviously not everyone will maybe get, you know, we're, we're, we're lucky to have you on to kind of speak about, you know, you kind of your, I guess, sort of relationship. To him. What's it like speaking to him? What's he like as a person? How does he sort of conduct himself? Just how much of a joy is he to speak to, really? Yeah, obviously, we've only been able to do it over Zoom so far, um, but hopefully we will get back into an actual room with him. Um no, he's very engaging, very amusing. Um, he is very honest as well, which I think is very refreshing to to journalists to have someone who doesn't really hide behind sort of PR lines or anything like that. He will usually give you his opinion on a subject, even if it is a maybe slightly softer opinion uh, than he holds privately. But 
to be honest, everything we've heard this past year is is sort of reflected in what he says in the press conferences. Um, he is, as Daniel said, um, probably the best sort of media personality Chelsea have had since Jose first time around anyway and his sort of handling of the media the, the tone he knows that he has to strike in certain situations um it, he's got it all spot on and i think his as, as daniel said not to just repeat what daniel said but um his first press conference was so important for for sort of almost starting the healing process for a lot of people um after lampard got sat because there was so much emotion around that point there was a lot of um a lot of fans who were just disenfranchised with everything that had happened. Um, whereas Tuchel came in with this almost sort of cheekiness to say, well, look, I, well, he said, I respect Frank Lampard, absolutely legacy his is is set no matter what. And then he, he obviously said, you know, the whole, if, they, if they've only given me an 18 month contract, but what does it matter? They'll sack me anyway if, if I'm not doing well. And that kind of was like, oh, hang on, this guy may be a little bit different to, to what's come before. Um, so it has been really enjoyable, um, the press conference and, and that interaction. And obviously we see a slightly more relaxed version in the sort of um, written section of it. Obviously you get the TV version, um, which I think he has to be a bit more, not controlled, but, you know, he has to probably be a bit more wary because, you know, television is what it is. Whereas in this, uh, in the written section that we get, it's a very, it's a bit more relaxed. He can cut loose a bit more, have a, be a bit more playful than he is even on, on the TV side. So um, I, I say I've really enjoyed what he's sort of done in this first year. I really enjoy um, getting to speak to him, which has been pretty much every other day at the moment. Um, and credit to him, he's never really, maybe one or two times that he's come in and you've looked at him, he's, he's, been, like, he's been a bit tired. And, and I can imagine after doing however many press conferences after a game and before a game when we've got two games in three days and stuff, he gets to a point where he's like, oh, for God's sake, I don't want to see these people again. But he's always quite amenable to us and, and always does try and give good answers. So, yeah, I, I've, I've really enjoyed him uh, uh, in that respect. And he's obviously a brilliant coach and somebody I really do think Chelsea need to put their trust in going forward a bit more. Yeah. Jack, you know, kind of a lot of us after Frank said, we're never going to get attached to a Chelsea coach again. We're never going to kind of fall in love with a manager. Thomas Tuchel kind of made that quite hard to, to not, didn't he? It's just, oh, what, what guy? Just your kind of thoughts on, you know, what you've enjoyed, you know, watching, you know, Chelsea under Tuchel. Yeah, yeah, it's been brilliant. I think if you'd asked after the first game, everyone was uh, probably not so happy with that Wolves performance, the nil-nil. Uh, I just to interrupt, I just remember Chelsea Twitter posted like that. They posted like this stat about the amount of passes we made. I think <laughs> there was like some video showing like some attack, some build-up play we made, but didn't lead the goal. <laughs> and I just remember Chelsea Twitter going, "Oh no, we're hyping this up." But anyway, yeah, continue. <laughs> no, I, and I just remember him starting Mason on the bench, and I thought this, this <laughs> even though he'd said all those good things in his uh, interview with Chelsea TV earlier in the day, etc. You just thought this this isn't a great way to start with someone who's been been our best player uh, in the Frank era, but he said it he said it in the in that press conference after Wolves that he was going him and his coaching staff were going to build a team that was difficult to beat and a team that no one would want to play, uh, and I think on the whole you can say that's certainly the case. He he transformed a team that was just leaking goals left right centre to a team that was was difficult to play against and 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 yeah we 
I mean, we won the Champions League at the end of the first season. You you can't complain at that. And that's certainly given me a memory in Porto that I'll be able to uh, treasure forever and keep that with me forever. So, no, he's been brilliant. And the, the, the tactical side of the game as well, the tactical nows he has um, been able to adapt things, uh, adapt formations. We've played multiple different formations, I think, all over all over like four two 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 points three five two three four one two three four two one so he's he's so adaptable and I think like both both the other lads have alluded to we we're lucky to have him and it's yeah the first time that a lot of fans have thought and seen how good he is that they think we we can't we can't afford to sack him even if results were slightly going poorly through December etc because another team will quite easily come swoop in and take him and he'll take them to a different level so we just got to keep keep uh, keep back in the man and I think we we've got every chance for him to become one of one of the best managers that we've had at this football club. Yeah. Okay, Daniel. You know you kind of alluded to earlier that kind of said Thomas Tuchel's uh, achievement of winning the Champions League was more impressive. Than Di Matteo's Champions League and Conte's Italian. Is that partly in fact due to just the convincing manner of fact that Chelsea, you know, how Chelsea won the Champions League, that there was just such an element of control, but also just such an element of just being on the front foot. And then leading on to that, what I guess, you know, we're a year into Thomas Tuchel. So we're about halfway through roughly the average manager Chelsea cycle in recent seasons. What does what does Thomas Tuchel have to do now to basically ensure that he, you know, beats history essentially? So on the first part, yeah, I mean, you you look at the way it was kind of something that you didn't actually realize until after we won the Champions League how amazing it'd been because as a fan you're so emotionally engaged and tense throughout all of those games that you don't quite appreciate oh yeah Chelsea have absolutely wiped the floor with some of Europe's best teams it doesn't feel like that when you're watching it when we were missing all those chances against Real Madrid I was I was thinking this is all going to go wrong very quickly unfortunately but then you look back and it was just, it was ridiculous. Some of those performances, the Atletico Madrid performance, um, the way we pretty much sealed up the quarterfinal in the first leg against Porto, who were a difficult side, a very awkward side to come up against. Um, but I think previous Chelsea teams would have come unstuck as, as well. Uh, Real Madrid, I mean, whatever we can say about Real Madrid, the thought of Chelsea, as I say, absolutely wiping the floor of them in that second leg is something that should be appreciated and should be respected. I think that is that is such a big thing historically for Chelsea to have. And of course, beating Man City in the final. So the second part of your question in terms of how does he beat it? It's difficult for me to, to say it's all on him, actually. I think a lot of it has to come from this summer. I think this summer is going to be quite defining, a bit like the 2017 summer was for Conte, where it all started to go really wrong, um, which I think we can you know, you can pin a lot of that onto Conte's sort of the the hostile nature of him and, and it seems to go wrong wherever he goes eventually. I think it's about that communication between the coach and the scouting network, which I, you know, I still have a frustration that we don't have a director of football. You could sort of argue that Petacek is kind of playing that role, especially in his involvement with negotiations with certain players but also uh, Edward Mendy deciding that he had such a big part to play but you've got to remember he had obviously previous connections with Wren so that was quite a unique situation I think it's about Chelsea have got to be ruthless and when I say ruthless I'm not talking about head coach I think Chelsea have got to now I think they've been putting a lot of things off in terms of keeping players that we really shouldn't have been keeping for so long in terms of investing in central midfield which is something that 
we absolutely need to this summer. Um, and that does mean that some difficult decisions are going to have to be made. I mean, in the past week, I've sort of come to the conclusion as, as an emotionally difficult affair where it will be. But I think this may be the time to say goodbye to Cesar Azpilicueta. And that's not because I don't think, I think Cesar's done and he, you know, you never want to write this guy off. I just think it's a little bit like Guardiola with when he arrived at City. He has let a lot of amazing City players who, for those fans, mean a lot. They won Premier League titles before Guardiola arrived. They were part of that 2012 uh, title winning squad, but he had to move on the squad to get in the players that he needed to get that control, which he now has. And I think it's the same for Tuchel. Um, Aspilicueta, I think, you know, he's had nearly a decade at Chelsea. Uh, Jorginho, I think, is another player that you can throw into this list. I think there are players like Marcus Alonso, who probably should have been sold two years ago, um, who it, I think it's down to Marina maybe being a little bit more humble and kind of we aren't going to get 20 million for every single player. But I think for the health of the squad and for the health of what Tuchel is trying to build, there needs to be, I think, a lot more cutting this year. I think a lot more players have got to be let go. I think, and as I say, there'll be some fans who won't be happy with some of those decisions and will question them at the time. Um, but that's, I think, the way that Tuchel is going to get more control. I just want to say quickly, I think the way, and from everything I'm sure Adam will say as well, you hear about Tuchel, and I think a lot of this comes from his previous experience at PSG in Dortmund, is he feels very happy and settled at Chelsea. He, you know, he likes the system. He likes what he has at Chelsea. So I think on that front, we can feel comfort with that. But I think for him to get to the title winning stage, which is what's going to keep him in the job because he has to win those big titles, uh, this summer there's got to be a, a major change for me in recruitment. And I think Chelsea have to have a serious think about what are they doing with attack? Who are we persisting with? Who are we not persisting with? What does Tuchel think a, a title-winning squad is going to look like? So when we come to a tricky December period, he isn't having to awkwardly shift around players that don't really fit, as as well as he's done to fit players in, in awkward positions. I, I, I don't want to see that for another year because I don't think that's what Tuchel wants. I think he wants a very flexible squad where he can move to a three, he can move to a four without the whole system collapsing because one player has to be taken out. So... Yeah, I think it's more to do with actually above Tuchel rather than actually what what Tuchel's doing himself. Fair enough. I'll you know kind of you know get onto the attack shortly. Uh, I do kind of want to round up the Tuchel discussion with I guess you know one of each of your favourite games from the Thomas Tuchel era, and I'm excluding the Champions League final from this because I feel that's kind of the obvious answer. So Dan, you know I'll stick with you. Your favourite game from the Thomas Tuchel mm-hmm. era so far? That's that's a difficult one. Um... I would actually say Liverpool away um, because I think it was such an important win for Chelsea to, uh, it just, it's, I think it's, I'm going to cheat. It's tied between that and Atletico. The reason being is because both games were, were Tuchel, was Tuchel ending seven year hoodoos. We hadn't won at Anfield for seven years in the Premier League and we hadn't won a Champions League knockout tie for seven years. And I think both of those things in their own way, I think were quite significant. And you can kind of link the Liverpool performance in the fact that we scored, we won 1-0, we scored on the counter uh, just before half time. It, it was a very similar game to the actually the Champions League final that we'd see four months later or however many months later it was. So I'd, I'd go with that. I've, and as well, Mason scoring a massive goal is kind of the biggest goal he'd scored at Chelsea so far. So, of course, I'm going to say Mason Mount. Uh, that was such a, a brilliant moment. And Liverpool, beating Liverpool is always going to go top of my list. So, yeah, that's that's mine, uh, beating Liverpool. Fair enough, Adam. Your kind of favourite game of the Thomas Tuchel era so far? Would 
probably, you know, aside from the Champions League final, it would probably be Juventus at home, just because it felt like everything was really coming together then. Obviously, we had Trevor score, we had Reese score, we had Carlos Ndoy score. We would, look, this is maybe not the vintage Juventus, but it was, uh, you know, it's still Juventus, it's still a huge, huge club, and Chelsea basically dismantled them playing really entertaining, high-pressing, attacking football. Academy graduates were thriving. Everyone was just hitting such a high point. And it was the point of this season where it felt we basically were riding the crest of this wave that was really going to take us forward and, and help mount a Premier League title challenge. Obviously, everything has happened since that point where Ben Chihuahua fell on the floor and hold, held his knee. It's gone a bit wrong. But I think leaving Stamford Bridge that night, the atmosphere that was still around the ground, and look, I leave you know, about an hour and a half later than everyone else. And it was a midweek game, but there was still this, there was still quite a lot of fans around, there was still a real buzz about it. And I think that was the point of of, of Tuchel's reign, where I was like, this is, feels like it's building to something special. And I do think we can get back to that point um, down the line again. Fair enough. Jack, your favourite game of Thomas Tuchel era, it's obviously not Porto. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was going to agree with Adam, actually, and say probably the Juventus game, um, for all the, all the reasons Adam's mentioned. I mean, we've got friends like David Branch after that game just went ahead and booked his flights to St. Petersburg. So I think that that sums it up from that game. Um, but then I'd probably say as well, um, that game against Leicester away this season, which completely blew them out of the water. And then I find it difficult to argue with. I know we were missing loads of chances in the game and couldn't quite kill it off. But when Mason stuck the ball in the net against Real Madrid to send us to another Champions League final, um, that was a great moment as well. Fair enough. Yeah, I think Real Madrid's got to be up there. I think that's Real Madrid in terms of like a, a Thomas Tuchel performance is probably like the best just because of how dominant was, how complete we was. Um, but I have to say, I have to agree with Adam. I have to say Juventus purely because fans were there. So, you know, it was really special. And that probably felt like it's only a group stage game, but that probably felt one of the best European nights at Stamford Bridge. Obviously, since probably the Ajax for 400 frame, but that probably felt in terms of magnitude and statement the best for probably a while, maybe since we beat PSG in the 2014 and Jose in terms of crowds being there. The atmosphere was amazing. Where was that spell? I think the second half, we scored two in about three minutes. Matthew Arnold, just the noise from that end. Um, it was a brilliant night. We just played so well and... Again, we played, we beat Juventus 4 0 in our front three that night. Was I think Hakim Ziyech, Christian Pulisic, and Callum Hudson Adoy. So it wasn't even, you know, necessarily like, you know, you would say our full strength or full star studded lineup. We played them off the pitch. And yeah, that night you just had us thinking, oh, this could really be something. And I guess just final thoughts. Uh, I'll go with you, uh, Daniel. I guess almost, you know, running up Thomas Tuchel, the brilliance of a man kind of almost like had convinced us that things were going to be different this year just because of how brilliant he was that, you know, well, actually, we could sustain a title charge. Just unfortunately, it's just not, you know, come to fruition due to magnitude reasons. But I guess that's just a symbol of how brilliant Thomas Tuchel is that he had us all really believing that this was yeah. this could be our year. I think he's injected a sense of um, confidence about the Chelsea team and kind of going into big games that we haven't had for some time. Um, there was obviously that brief period under Conte when we were winning the league, but that very quickly dissipated in the second season. Um yeah, I think in terms of the belief that we can do something greater, you know, the, the Champions League when obviously was going to give that massive boost of confidence. Um, but the hope would be for me, the lesson to take from the unfortunate things that we've seen recently are 
that Tuchel can do amazing things. But he, if he's struggling with problems that we've seen before with, you'd say, worse coaches, then surely he deserves the time and investment to, to fix those things is what I'd say. The lesson shouldn't be, oh, he's running into the same problem, so let's replace him with someone else. Um, and, and I agree with you. He, he His sense of conviction, and as I say, the I think the mood he set around Stamford Bridge is something that I think is very powerful. And you kind of feel like what Klopp was getting at in his early years at, at Liverpool, um, where even if Liverpool weren't winning the league, they were blooding the nose of Man City in league fixtures. They were going far in the Champions League. You know, you felt that club was going somewhere, like it was very quickly uh, rising. And, and you can kind of feel that Chelsea are going in a similar direction, even though, of course, we've already won the Champions League. There's, there's still some way to go domestically. And um, I just would say, though, I think people forget how poor the end to that season, what last season was in the Premier League um, because of the Champions League win. I mean, we were awful in the last few weeks of that season where... I mean, Chelsea should, but we've had this discussion before, like in terms of Chelsea getting top four as like this incredible achievement, like Chelsea nearly ruined their chances of top four in that, that final few weeks. It should have been done. Uh, so I was under no illusion. I felt that Chelsea needed to invest in other areas in the summer. Um, but absolutely, Tuchel has, I think, has changed the mentality and kind of the confidence from, from supporters. There, there's no denying that, even if we have seen uh, similar flaws in recent weeks. Yeah, and I guess part of maybe the slight downturn in form is our misfiring attack, which just seems to be, you know, basically a talking point pretty much nearly every other week. Um, Romelu Lukaku in rest of attack, I'm, I'm titling this. Uh, Adam, Romelu Lukaku, it's an interesting one. <laughs> um, I think at the start of the season, on our pod, you might even have tipped him to be Chelsea's player of the season. So that one's not going down too great. Uh, just kind of thoughts on Romelu Lukaku right now. Like, obviously... We've not really seen the same Lukaku since Interviewgate, we'll call it. Um, your kind of just thoughts on the Rom situation at Chelsea, just like the kind of general feeling that you've kind of maybe garnered from from just, you know, your context, whatever, about the mood at Chelsea with Rom, you know, how much of a destabilising, you know, impact has that potentially had? I mean, I think it's had some impact, obviously, um, because I think it was just such a surprise when it happened that, that it did shock a few people. And yeah, it's a tricky one with Lukaku because I think, he is a player that probably needs to be not have the team built to him, but I think he does need uh, a better structure around him to get the best of him. And look, I think it was really well highlighted after the Man City game on match of the day, how there are opportunities to get Lukaku in better than Chelsea do. Um, but for um, the, the, the sort of quality of, of the passing or because of the lack of confidence in playing a pass, um, it doesn't happen as often um, as it should. Now, what I will say is I think um, the problem that Chelsea have is they have three or four attackers who I think want the responsibility of, of leading the attack, of having the the pressure to deliver. I think you see Hakim Ziyech thrive when you make sure you give him the ball, you, you trust him to, to be your match winner. Christian Pulisic does this with the US. He, he likes the responsibility and that pressure. I think Lukaku's similar. He wants to be the guy. He wants to, he did it with Inter last season. He was the guy. He was the one who was going to take them to the title. But at Chelsea, you've got so many attacking players that you can't just put responsibility on one of them. It has to be a collective, and Tucker has, has really emphasised this a lot. Um, and I think this is the problem that, that Lukaku faces, is that Chelsea are never going to just work to him he has to try and adapt a little bit to the system and the system does have to 
help him a little bit more than it does or, or, the, or the players have to but um he isn't in a, he is in a tricky situation um i think he is worth persevering with because he is a goal scorer no matter what uh, is going on at the moment that his, his career proves that it's just a case of of giving him some time still of of trying to let him find some rhythm of or playing maybe an attack around him that is consistent. And this is, again, another problem. We, we've all said, I think, probably at different points this season, Tuchel really needs to settle on an attack. He needs to get some chemistry going. He needs to get some relationships going. But then at the same point, you've A, had injuries, B, COVID, and you've got to try and keep everyone happy, which is what Tuchel has been trying to do. He's been bringing players in and out, giving them two or three games here, then another one, two or three games, because he's very aware of every player wants to play. And when you don't play, you start getting noisiest when addressing certain players being unhappy and that's where we're at at the moment look it the last two games Chelsea played with the same attack of, of Mount, Lukaku, Hudson-Odoi um, and Ziyech. Now obviously obviously and this isn't um, this is just my view on it if you're uh, if you're a player who's not in the starting 11 you're going to be a bit frustrated and you're like well I want to play I want to be in this team um, and those frustrations can grow and look, it's it's a tricky situation. I, just, I think I've said all the season, Chelsea probably carrying one attacker too many. I do think it's been a problem for Tuchel trying to keep everyone happy. And that's kind of leads into the Lukaku thing of, unless I think you you find the right players around him or um, you're never going to get the best of him. But by the same token, I don't think Tuchel wants to just, well, he's, he's said, doesn't he? Chelsea isn't a club where you just play for one player. That was, I think, one of his sort of stand-up quotes from a press conference. So it is a tricky one. And I do think Lukaku hasn't helped himself with the interview. That was very naive to do that, um, even if the quotes weren't perhaps as bad as the social media storm grew into. Um, but, I mean, what did Chelsea do with this guy in the summer? If if he cost £100 million, it's Chelsea Football Club. We know they're just not going to write that off and go, oh, well, that happened. What a shame it didn't work out. No, there'll be there'll be some pressure on Tuchel. Uh, there'll be some expectation on that he'll hopefully find a solution. If it, if he can't, and look, if Tuchel says in the summer that Lukaku should move on, I don't know what happens at that point because we know Chelsea don't like to make big losses on players. Um, but the board also values Tuchel very highly and respects his opinion. So that would be a very interesting conundrum to solve if we got to that point. But We've still got however many months, five months of the season left. Let's hope that Tuchel can find a way to, to get the best out of Lukaku. Let's hope Lukaku can find a way to get the best out of himself at Chelsea because he can be a real difference maker if we can get to that point. Fair enough. Um, I'll go to you on this, Daniel. Uh, there was a poll on Chelsea Twitter that was kind of put up earlier in the week. If you would sell one of Chelsea's attackers, who would it be? Um, I think Christian Pulisic won said poll to obviously some frustration some like maybe and then some not really a surprise um if there was one Chelsea attacker you'd tell or maybe if there's more you can say if you want to sell more than one let me know but if there's one Chelsea attacker you'd sell who would it be and why I think I know the answer to this question <laughs> I think I do too Adam but I just want to hear him say it. <laughs> um Mason <Mountain> <laughs> um I'd sell number 11 I mean that's who I'd sell um you know if we're having a serious conversation here um and I think you, in all seriousness, I, I do think you'd get a good fee for him. Um, and I think Marina could kind of do what she did with Morata in, in 2019, wasn't it? She got like 60 million, which is still like the most incredible deal when you think about <laughs> Morata's stock. I mean, I, st- I still don't know what Atletico were thinking. And I, st- I just, I wonder what was going on in that, in that room. 
um, with those negotiations. I yeah, I think Werner. I mean, I I just I, I wrote about it, and I think you have to be fair that he has had some injury problems this year. You know, he barely had any last year. But I I've seen enough of this guy now to unfortunately come to the conclusion I I just don't know how it gets much better. Um, you know, I I'm kind of a little bit tired of the condescending tone around Werner when he's making apologies about not really being that good at his job. And then everyone's turning around and going, oh, how wonderful is he? Because he works hard. Like working hard is not a, is not a 50 million attribute. Um, I expect every single Chelsea player to be working hard. Um, there are things he does on the pitch that are just baffling. Um, you know, in terms of technically, he, you know, he's one of the poorest players I've seen play for Chelsea. Now he is a nice guy and I wish him the best if he was to move on. And it was wonderful. He was he was a big part, obviously, of the Champions League win. But why do you think it is over the past month when we've been having these very very serious conversations about the attack that Werner's barely played any minutes? Um, and I my conclusion is I think probably Tuchel's come to it and looked at say Callum Hudson the door who plays on the left in kind of an area that you know Werner would play and thinks technically better player seems to actually help Chelsea's attack. You know Werner's got one Premier League goal this season. He's got seven in total. And I sent these stats to Adam, which are just, I mean, they are ridiculous. And I don't know if they're surprising. They were surprising to me um, in terms of when I looked at Morata's whole goal return from Chelsea. And I think it was 24 goals in 72 appearances. Um, Morata's got, I'm sorry, that was Morata's. Werner's got, I think, 18 in 71 appearances. So he's one away in matching and obviously overtaking. Morata's whole total at Chelsea. I just we bought this guy to score goals, and he isn't scoring goals. And the rest, the rest of his game, I don't think he's good enough um, to to really facilitate why we should be sticking with him. Especially when I'm seeing like Amando Brozier going in his first Premier League season and scoring, nearly reaching Werner's whole goal total. Um, and this is how old is he? He's in nineteen in twenty. You know he, you know he's already doing that for a worse club than Chelsea. Um, Conor Gallagher. Similar story from a deeper position. So that that's the first player. I think the rest of them, Werner's the one that I think, yeah, is is kind of the one, you know, I, ju I just find really frustrating to watch. And I, I just, as I say, I don't know. He, I just don't, I just don't know how it's going to improve at this point. The rest of them, I'm not entirely sure uh, because some weeks you'd ask me and I'd go, I think Pulisic's maybe got a future. Other weeks, I'm now, I'm, right now I'm saying Hakim Ziyech because obviously he's, he's had a good, couple of, of performances and you think in the new system that Tuchel's using actually that could get the best out of him um, Mason's the sir obviously he's the consistent that's been one of Chelsea's best and most influential players for recent years obviously he's staying uh, Lukaku you can't give up on Rom um, because still the stats kind of tell me that if Rom gets a lot of opportunities he's going to put majority of them in um, I think it's about five or six Premier League goals in, in nine or ten shots on target which you know, still pretty impressive when you when you look at sort of at times the lack of service. Um, Pulisic, if he wants to go, you know, there, there are some players, if they want to go, I think it, it's best to cut ties because I don't want to lose Conor Gallagher or Brozier this summer, especially Conor Gallagher. I don't I don't want another summer of us invest of us using very talented youth players who are doing better than our current attack to sell on to maybe sign someone else. Um, I just it's 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 a confusing and, and baffling thing right at the moment because I, I felt when we spent all that money on these attackers you were kind of hoping that something was going to click 
I don't think it's a case that all these players are rubbish. I think that that's a really lazy take. I just, I wonder how many of them, as Adam was saying, psychologically not maybe getting the main sort of role that they'd probably want. Um, you know, Pulisic under Frank very much got that role and you saw the best of him. Now he's got so many players to compete with. That's probably just not the case. And Tuchel is someone who likes to rotate and change players in and out consistently. Um, and I do think that sticking with a consistent attack will help this team a lot more. Um, and you'd hope with maybe less games, if even that's possible, or at least a, a refresh over these couple of weeks, Tuchel will, will be able to stick with something. Werner's the only one that I'm looking at. I think Pulisic and Ziyech are two that I could, I could see both going. I could see one of them going. I think Rom has to stay. I think Callum has has proven that he needs to stay now and, and he's getting the chances in his favoured role. And I think he's he needs to get better, but I think he's proven this season he can be a, a very influential player for Chelsea in the final third. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my, my feelings. I, I know people won't like it because I know how much people love Werner. Um, and I, I, I think he's obviously a nice guy, but I just, I just got to be honest, unfortunately, I don't want to sort of condescend to him. I think that he's an elite player and he hasn't performed to the level I'd expect. Uh, before I get on to you, Jack, what I will say on Timo, as much as I love him, as much as I just keep him around just for the social media content Chelsea can produce. Uh, I think you look at City, what they did with Ferran Torres, and obviously Ferran Torres was more successful for City. He was a player they bought for a project. He was there about, been about what well, similar time length to Werner. And then they decided it's not working out for whatever reasons. And they just said, here you go, Barcelona, do that. And I think if Chelsea were able to do that a bit more often, maybe uh, in my work. But Jack, is there one of the attack or maybe more you would happily offload in the summer? It's a difficult one, isn't it? I think at the end of the day, you look at the returns of those players in the Premier League and what have we spent on them? Probably about 300 million on Havertz, Ziyech. Werner, Lukaku, Pulisic, it's probably over 300 million. And I don't know how many goals they've scored this season, but at the end of the day, it's not good enough for for strikers, for attacking returns. It's it's, it's not good enough, uh, good enough standard for Chelsea to go and to go and win titles. Um, I don't know, it's a difficult one to sort of dissect why why they're not all performing. I mean, someone like Mason's, I think he's got seven Premier League goals and five assists, and we'd argue that he's not actually been that great this season, but that's still miles ahead of the other boys. Um, and I don't think you, you can't really use the argument that they need time to adapt anymore. They've they've had that um and still still not performing to to the levels that we expect um i think i agree with with daniel in the respect that some of those players if they if they want to go uh like apulisic he's he's come comes into the team sometimes and he finds himself playing right wing back which obviously is not his preferred position at all i think players like him for the benefit of their career have have got have got to got to go really um so i'd probably i'd probably say him for the for the benefit of his career based on where he's been playing when when he's been given minimal opportunities this season fair enough um adam i guess who would be the one attacker that you would sell out of the car not or if there's more than one who you'd sell hmm. based on um I'll caveat so he's you know no information except for that i think that i would go with 
probably Timo as well. I do think there'll be a market for Timo um, in the summer. I do think Chelsea could get a decent fee for him. Um, and he's probably the one player in the attack who I, depending on what system we play, obviously, let's work on the basis that we're still going to stick with a 3-4-2-1. I don't see a natural position for him in that system. Um Obviously, you can, you've got Pulisic and Callum on the left. Potentially, you've got Mason and, and Ziyech on the right. And then you've got Lukaku and, and Havertz as the nines. I don't see Timo as a nine on his own um, for fairly obvious reasons. On the left of that, he's not great. Like he, He's not great in one-on-ones despite his pace. So I think looking at it in that, in that sense, he would probably be the, the obvious one, I think. Um, but I get, I, 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 I kind of feel that we'll, we'll get to the summer and, and there may be two or three who are open to going, who Chelsea may be open to selling, and then it may just be about what bid arise for these players, um, which was the case last summer. Obviously, look, Chelsea had a, a not not dissimilar situation with Emerson and Marcus Alonso, where it was kind of well, we need to move the left back slash left wing back on. Now it could be either of these guys. Let's see what bid arrives. Mm-hmm. And let's see which one works for us. And obviously, it was Leon and Emerson. There wasn't a bit that came in for Alonso that, that suited Chelsea. So I envisage just maybe a similar situation about that, where you have two or three who who could go, and it will be about what offer Chelsea receive, what Tuchel feels, um, and then and then a decision will be taken. But um, but for me, looking at it completely objectively, it would just probably be Timo, just because I I think he needs he needs a front two, he needs he needs space to attack and that's probably a bit more too many conditions that he's actually going to get um, regularly at Chelsea. Yeah, as sad as it would be to see Timo Werner go, because I just love him. He just works so hard. I, it's it's kind of, I know, again, you, Daniel's going to be Daniel's like the condescending stuff he's talking about, but he is kind of like an adorable puppy to me. So I do kind of want him to just just stay, but it would probably be him. I think seems, he, he seems a lovely guy. He does. Like, genuinely seems a nice guy and you'd love for him to succeed because he does yeah. seem a nice guy. It, but, it does feel, feel almost a bit Torres-esque with him at points. We're kind of just, you know, clinging on to something that's, that's perhaps not really, really there. I'd have said Ziyech would have been a shout before Spurs. But again, you know, if we stick, if this four of the back is a thing going forward, then he could be a really key player for us. So I think that's a tough one. And then, yeah, Pulisic is one of those, if he went, I wouldn't be too worried. And I say this, I know we've not really talked about Kai, which I mean, guess can, it means we're all in consensus that, you know, we wouldn't sell him. But I do think if we sold Kai, he would be the, this generation's or this year's version of, the next De Bruyne Salah for me, despite how frustrating he has been to watch at points, I do think that would be a big, big blow. Um, so obviously we've been talking about the attacks going out. There have been links with an attacker potentially coming in, whether that be in January or in the summer on a free. Usman Dembele. Thomas Tuchel's worked with him at uh, Borussia Dortmund before. There's been quite a lot of him. Adam, would you be you know happy with signing Usman Dembele, given it you know seems like a Thomas Tuchel target and we want Thomas Tuchel to be happy, or is it one of those guys? We've already got an injury-prone wing in Christian Pulisic. We don't really need another one. I can see the attraction um, on the part of Chelsea and Tuchel. I get it. He is a very, very talented footballer. Tuchel would work with him and obviously rates him very highly. You could potentially get him on a free in the summer. He's still 24, I think it is. There's a lot of, of positives you can you can weigh against it and, and say yeah actually this could be an absolutely great move for Chelsea why wouldn't you do this when you, you can get him on a free but I do think the the injury record is concerning um and that's that's 
going to be the key decision. Do you take a gamble on this guy? Do you, do you back yourselves to be able to get him fit and keep him fit? Um, because, as I say, there's no doubt that Usman Dembele is an absolutely fantastic footballer. What he can do um, in terms of off both feet, with his dribbling, he's, he's got so many assets that you'd want from an attacking player. But it would be a risk. Do Chelsea need to take that risk? Do, have, do Chelsea commit a, a big financial outlay to a player who I think Daniel has, did research and this has missed over 100 club games in the last four years or, or something like that? I don't know. I think it, it would be a gamble that I'm not sure Chelsea have to take. Um, but hey, look, if Tuchel says, look, this guy, go get him, I want him. Then if Chelsea do it, you, you kind of just cross your fingers and hope it comes off. Perhaps Daniel Quick thoughts has been Dembele, yay or nay? Still, yeah, I still think it's too much of a risk. Um, but there is kind of this discussion we were just having. There is a sense even from me to kind of be extreme and just rip it up and start all over again with the attack, or at least a lot of it. Um, and as Adam said, you know, very talented player. Uh, when Tucker was asked months into his Chelsea job who he felt the most talented player he'd worked with, he mentioned as Ben Dembele. And um, I remember writing, you know, taking those quotes into a piece. I was writing about Dembele. Yeah, it just, it's it's a massive risk. I mean, people have pointed out that his injury record, and funny enough, I've been reading a book about Barca uh, very recently, and in terms of the struggles he's had to adapt to there, and how actually when you look at his injury record, it really is only at Barcelona. Um, everywhere else, he hasn't had these problems. So it's not like Christian Pulisic, who had injury problems at, at Dortmund actually before he arrived at Chelsea and those just continued. So it could be a sense that a new environment with a coach he really likes, um, a sense of a fresh start. He's still at a good age that he could come to the Premier League and do something good. But but there is a risk. And my question would be, are there better players that we could either bring back from loan? Um, you know, would you rather give those minutes to Usman Dembele or would you rather give those minutes to say someone like um, Conor Gallagher if he was playing in kind of a forward position? I know, obviously, again, we think of Conor Gallagher as a number eight, but in the current system, I think Gallagher would be more likely to play one of those front four positions than he would as one of the sixes, actually. So that'd be the question. But, you know, as, as I'm saying, Sukul wants it. And if if he comes in, you pray it works well, because if it does and he can replicate what he did at Dortmund, then you've got obviously an incredible talent on your hands. Enough, Jack. Quick thoughts, Dembele, yay or nay? Um, I think I agree with both the lads that if if Tuchel wants him, um, I'd find it hard to argue against against that, and I'd say go for it. At the end of the day, if you can get him on a free or a small a small fee, then it, it could potentially be a risk that's that's worth taking. But as both the lads have alluded to, the the injury record, etc., is not great. So it's a difficult one that the club, I'm sure, would have to have to weigh up. Yeah, fair enough. I'm kind of with you on that. I'm not too fussed if Tuka wants him, then I'm fine getting it. It's kind of similar to me with, I guess, you know, there were talks of Tuka wanted Adama in the summer. I'm not a big fan of Adama, but if Tuka wanted him, then he can, you know, go from type thing. Um, kind of moving on to the sort of other end of the spectrum, you know, potential outgoings. The contract situation of the defence, and I guess the general contract situation with actually quite a lot of players, is maybe slightly worrying. Adam, obviously, you know, it seems like there is a lot of talk coming out in Spain that Azpilicueta seems to likely be going to Barcelona. You know, teams like Chelsea, essentially Azpilicueta wants more than one year, the one year deal that Chelsea will offer him and Barcelona seem to be, you know, that club to do that. 
Christensen just seems to be, you know, nothing really happening, essentially, you know, basically got new agency people. They wanted to start the contract all over again. And Chelsea were like, no, this is what we've agreed on so far. We want to go from there. Not really paid off. And Rudiger, interestingly enough, actually maybe seems the most promising one to stay. So I guess your, your quick thoughts on the centre-back situation and how many of those, like, is it crucial that we keep an out of, you know, how, out of the three, who would you actually be okay with letting go? Out of the three, I mean, I, I wrote a piece the other day about, about Aspie and how I thought maybe it was the time for him to, to sort of move on. Look, he's been an incredible, incredible servant to Chelsea. Um, he's won, I think it was eight trophies playing four or, or sort of eight trophies in four different positions. Um, he is the model of like, of what you'd want a professional at Chelsea to be. But at the same point, he's 32. His legs, personally, I think, are starting to go a little bit, um, which is understandable given the ridiculous amount of football he's played over the last 10 years. Um, I actually don't think he's he, he's made fewer than 40 appearances in any season he's been at Chelsea. He's just been relentless for him. Um, and I, I think the concern would be do you offer if you would offered him that two year deal? What happens if come next season he has a, a Branislav Slavovanovic drop off where his legs have gone completely? And I think it was Jefferson Montero on the opening day of, of a season that tore Branner apart. And it was like, oh, okay, we can't continue this because this is not good now. Um, and I don't want Asby to get to that point at Chelsea. I want him to leave uh, with his standing as high as it can be. And look, if Barcelona have got a, a two year deal on the table or, or potentially even longer than that, gives him a chance to return to Spain, gives him a chance to, to play for a huge club. I don't know. To me, it ticks a lot of boxes. Um, and yes, it would be hard to say goodbye to, to say that, but there is a right time for this. City have shown that you can move on club legends um, at the right point. And look, Chelsea have done it before as well. We, we, we let Frank Lampard go um, without him getting a chance to even say goodbye to the supporters. So we, we have made these sort of ruthless decisions in the past. Um, and I think maybe we have to do that with Aspi. With Christensen, I, 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 at this point, and genuinely, I don't know what's going on anymore. Chelsea thought they had this done twice. Now it's not. Now he's going to Barcelona or Bayern. It's like, okay, well, I think looking at it as a supporter rather than, than a reporter, um, it's like you've had two contract offers on the table. We thought You thought it was all agreed. If you don't want to take that, fine. Um, let's let's move on then. We'll, we'll find a solution to that and, and you can go anyway. And, and that again, not not in the same uh, sort of status as Aspi, but Christensen's been at Chelsea almost 10 years. He has had his ups and downs, but he came on in a Champions League final for Chelsea and was absolutely flawless, which is no easy feat to do at all. So he would leave uh, with, a, with a handshake from me. And yeah, Rudiger, I kind of said, I think it might have been on here, that I, I had a sneaky suspicion he might stay. This was all the way back in sort of September time, just because I thought he would go into the market and see what's there in January and then maybe scale back a little bit and think, actually, no, Chelsea is the best place for me. Now, I'm not saying that's definitely going to happen, but there are noises that he now is in sort of contract talks again with Chelsea. There is there is discussions being held, which there wasn't before. So it would be interesting to see him stay. I think he has developed this season into somebody so crucial. His personality is so forceful within the team, not just his ability that my mind swung back and forward on this um, earlier in the season. I said you have to keep Christensen. Now I think you have to keep Rudiger. Um, and we'll see how it all shakes up. But um, but yeah, losing three centre-backs 
uh, in the summer for free would be quite damaging for Chelsea. So I hope they're able to, to tie really good down at least, or, or well, or Christensen, even though that seems more unlikely now. Yeah, Daniel, obviously I'll get you to add on that, but also this kind of does bring in an interesting fact that it's kind of been, you know, a bit of a more recent discussion on Twitter in recent weeks is that sort of a discourse around, around, around Marina. Uh, obviously there's been, you know, with this centre-back situation playing out it as it has, obviously the business in the summer, i.e. moving on Mark Gerhi, moving on Tino Livramento, etc. It hasn't exactly, despite, you know, the fees recouped or whatever, and some in some cases buyback clauses inserted, it's perhaps not necessarily like reflected great on her, um, obviously, I'll get your thoughts on you know the current centre back situation, and also your kind of thoughts on the job Marina has kind of done with this squad because there is also other players out of contract. You know, soon I think Pulisic's contract is up. You know, fairly soon, maybe not this year, but next year. I think Jorginho is in a similar boat as as Adam tweeted. You know, tweet that got him a lot of flack. Uh, Kovacic might even be similar. I'm not quite sure. So your kind of just thoughts on you know the current centre back situation, but also the the, the the current like contract situation with a lot of players that kind of Marina has let play out. Quickly on, on defenders, yeah, I've, I've sort of changed my my belief in terms of, uh, especially the Christensen thing, which just looks, yeah, as we don't know where what's happening anymore. I did get frustrated with the way Tuchel handled very publicly Christensen's kind of contract situation in that press conference back in December. I thought it, it made Christensen out to be sort of a villain when we didn't really need to have that. Like, I, I don't know why that stuff needed to go public, but then you look at what's happened since and, you know, it's... It, none of us kind of know where Christensen's at, what the situation is anymore. So I kind of feel that if we're assuming now that Dave and Christensen might be heading off, I think you have to tie Rudiger down. Um, and I referencing Gary Neville again, I think he said it during the Spurs game, you've kind of got to look at Rudiger rather than your own player. You've kind of got to look at him as if he wasn't your player, if that makes sense. Like how much would you pay if he was, on on someone else's books basically and kind of buy him again and, and of course with the current form that Rudiger is in I think a lot of us would buy him again as a transfer um, even with my concerns that longevity if you're handing him a massive contract is he still going to be at the same level in say two years time but we can't have a situation where, where all three go out in terms of that yeah I mean I wasn't too happy with the youth exodus last summer uh, and you know people can go and find my feelings on the girl he won um Abraham and Samori, I think it was more just a sense of both of them. I wanted the best for their careers and I think they probably need to move on. But it doesn't reflect well on, on squad planning, does it? And sort of what's coming next, you know, keeping players. And and as well, the argument was, as as I think some people have kind of pointed out, and it is a, is a good argument to make in terms of, there's always this kind of counter argument that is made when we say, let's keep young players, let's not sell them instantly, even though they can make us a good profit is, well, players just don't want to sit on the bench. Well, as this season has proven, having a big squad is very valuable. And given the amount of games Chelsea have, given injuries, given COVID, Livermento would have got game time. I think Mark Gohe would have got, get, would have got game time in that back three. Um, other players, I think, would have got game time. Absolutely. And even if you are making money in one summer, if then you're having to spend even more to replace players further down the line, I'm not quite sure how that's a masterstroke, to be honest. You know, we sell Mark Gohe for 20 million, but then we have to pay 80 million for the lit a year later. You know, I, I don't know how that's incredible business, if I'm being honest. Um, you sell Tammy Abraham, who's been your one of your best consistent goal scorers in an attack that doesn't have a lot of consistent goals in it, consistently puts the ball in the back of the net. He leaves you. And then he's outscoring your attack again for someone else. 
uh, even if we do have a buyback on a lot of these players, it you know it doesn't reflect well on, as I say, long term planning, which Chelsea I don't think have a lot of. So I don't think we can have a similar situation. I, I really fear that Broja is going to be off because um, I just I, I fear that the clubs now smell blood, like they they know that the players can see themselves moving elsewhere from Chelsea. There's that pathway to move move away, get first team Premier League football instantly, be good enough for those clubs. And it's why Southampton are jumping at the opportunity, as, as Adam wrote the other day about uh, Tino Andrew. Um, there's a trend now been set, and I don't think it's a great one. And I, 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 as Matt Law pointed out, I think that one summer, you can kind of excuse it if it's a really difficult market. Two summers, I don't think it, it's setting a good trend because it, it will lose Chelsea a lot of talented players and a lot of players that could save them actually a lot of money, like Mason, Mountain, Reese, James have, um, and Trevor Chalabar now has as well. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned on that front. Fair enough. Um, Jack, we'll go to you soon. But Adam, you're kind of just your thoughts on, I guess, Marini, because I don't know how, how much attention you paid Twitter. But on Twitter, when I read it, there kind of seems two camps. Well, one that, you know, she's a queen, she can do no wrong. She's this master negotiator. She does everything. And the other one that goes, well, actually, she doesn't make some very good decisions. She's not great at her job, etc. When I guess the reality is it's somewhere in between. But I kind of your thoughts on, on Marina, because obviously I think sometimes people get her, her role confused in general. But also the fact that it does, as said, when she has negotiated, you know, some of these these fees for certain players. I mean, even, you know, 25 million for Kurt Zuma maybe looks a bit, you know, under par type thing. And given the fact that there are players still on books that we have struggled to offload due to her, you know, you know, just being stringent, demanding a fee. Is there a case that, you know, Marina, I don't want to say holding us back, but there are some, you know, clearly some things that maybe if she could just be a bit more lenient on that the club could maybe progress forward or... I mean, she's in a tricky position. Um, first, she, she's wearing a lot of hats at the moment. She has done for a while, um, which is kind of maybe part of the reason I think, you know, personally, maybe, and this is something I've written about, maybe Chelsea need to, to review their structure and have maybe more of a, a sort of a sporting director, director of football type to, to take some of that off Marina. Because everyone uh, I've, I've spoken to who's had some interaction uh, with Marina says she is incredibly uh charming very beguiling like she, she can she can very much um sort of run a meeting how she wants to do it um i do think there are some instances where of course you, you'd look at it and go look just just take the money like yes it's maybe not what you want but you can get this player off your books and, and we can all move on um there are probably a couple in the squad at the moment who, who you'd look at that um but by the same token i mean Chelsea are a business and she is trying to exact money, uh, absolute top dollar for that business, um, especially one that last year for the financial rate lost, made a loss of around 145 million. So she has to try and juggle a lot of different responsibilities. Um, I don't, and I never have thought it's as, as black and white of Marina in or Marina out. Um, so I think she's incredibly important for the club. She does a very good job um, in certain respects. You know, Daniel referenced earlier getting 60 million for Alvaro Morata. There are a couple like that where she's pulled absolute sort of masterstrokes and you're just like, how has is, how is she achieved that? And of course, there are there are instances where she's not got it bang on and she has made mistakes, but, you know, she's a human being. Human beings make mistakes. She is not flawless. Um, so I'm very much in the camp of she's very good for the club. By all accounts, again, I've never spoken to Marina. She doesn't do press stuff, um, but I, I think she's good for the club. But maybe there has to be some responsibility taken off her 
for the overall football sort of operation and maybe just let her handle the business, the pure business, because I think that is where she's absolutely uh, sort of in her domain and, and probably better than most. So, so yeah, as I say, it's not black and white to me. There are a lot of sort of grey points in this discussion. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, quickly, obviously, I know Jack has to go to football, so we will let him go soon. So, Jack, you know, I'm going to move on to this. I'm going to put this section now instead of last. Uh, predictions, you know, for the end of the season for Chelsea. So, Jack, where do you think Chelsea are finishing the Premier League? You know, the Carabao Cup, the FA Cup, Club World Cup, Champions League. How do you think you see it going? Um, I think we've got to be looking to finish third in the Premier League. Um, no more top four scraps, hopefully. Um, Carabao Cup be a t- tough one against Liverpool, but we'd like to back ourselves, I think. So we'll, we'll go for a win in that. Um, FA Cup, just, yeah, any kind of run that goes deep in the competition, it'd be nice to try and go and win it, especially after the last two seasons and falling up short against Arsenal and Leicester. Um, and then Champions League, sim- similar again, just try and go try and go deep in the competition. We know how good we are against um, so, so-called bigger teams and in, in tight games, important games, one-off games, we seem to thrive in that in that uh, atmosphere. So, yeah, nice running. That would be nice as well. I'm not, not quite sure we'll get to St. Petersburg like a branch, he thinks, but we'll have to see. Um, and then Club World Cup, yeah, I think we've got to, we've got to go and win that, especially after um, uh, messing it up last time under Rafa against Corinthians. Uh, it's the only real trophy that we've got to go and complete the... Uh, the trophy hall in in the Stamford Bridge Museum. So I think we've got to go and win that. Fair enough, fair enough. Jack, thanks for your time, mate. As always, good luck with your footy. That's all right. Um, Cheers. I'll let you go. Uh, Adam, your kind of thoughts on, you know, Chelsea's, you know, uh, expectations, you know, predictions, what we can achieve the rest of this season. Yeah, so obviously I want to win the Club World Cup. So I have that label as well. Champions, I think, is important. And as, as Jack said, you know, it would mean that we pretty much have won everything there is to win. Um, obviously the Carabao Cup as well that would be good to, to, to collect just to, to get another sort of piece of silverware um, you know for this team to celebrate another piece of silverware and I just really want us to have a good end to the season where we're not scrabbling to get into the top four come sort of late uh, April early May because we've done that far too often in the last few years um, we need to be finishing third second with like five or six games to spare, not worrying about it at all. Because ultimately, if we're still in the Champions League knockout stages, you want to have the ability to really focus on them, to hone in on them, to, to rest key players, perhaps for those games. You don't want to be having to grind out big wins at the weekend and then going into a Champions League quarterfinal or semifinal against a, a Real Madrid or, or a Paris Saint-Germain. You don't want that. So um, for me, yeah, get the Premier League top four sewn up as quickly as you can collect a couple more trophies that you can get next month um, and then who knows about the Champions League it is it is not unfeasible that Chelsea go and win the Champions League again it would be incredibly difficult of course but this is a team that has shown under Tuchel it can very much lift itself for, for knockout games they know how to win it they have the nous to win it um, if they can get the defensive stability back they had last season it seems strange to say there's nothing stopping Chelsea from winning the Champions League, um, but I do genuinely think that they have the capability of winning 
what would it be seven games to, 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 to take that trophy again so um so yeah that's that's the that's the wild card in there Fair enough Daniel your predictions for how the rest of the season will go for Chelsea I think pretty much what everyone said so far I, I don't think I, I'm too different uh in terms of that club World cup Carabao cup uh it'll be nice to be back at Wembley at the end of this month uh or sorry then next month um I think the last time I went there was the Southampton FA Cup semi-final which was under Conte so uh hopefully that'll be an amazing day and I think like Adam said you know we've we're a very good cup team under Tuchel you know you in one game one-off games um like that cup final against Liverpool, the Club World Cup or the Champions League, where I think we've got a really good draw. You know, you back the group of players, they'll have that obviously muscle memory or at least the confidence that they've already done this and they could potentially do it again. I don't think many teams want to face Chelsea in a two-legged tie. And in the case of the Premier League, I kind of want to hit 80 points um, because we haven't done it since Conte's title-winning season. You know, what you want at the end of the season is kind of that gap to City. If it is, say, eight points... I think the most it can be is 10. I think if it's anything over that, if we're starting to get to, say, 19 points again, it will kind of feel quite depressing <laughs> going into the summer and feeling like nothing's really changed when I think it, it should have by the end of this year. It was always going to be massive to try and close a 19-point gap, given how brilliant City are. So, yeah, that that's kind of thing. We, there should be no kind of... With, with the runner games Chelsea have got, I actually looked at it from now until... April, I want to say, Chelsea have got games that you'd suspect they can win, or at least a majority of them they can win, um, especially now with this refresh and hopefully Reese James coming back and the confidence coming back into the team. And, and if we can get, say, Rom firing a bit more, Chelsea can still have a very good end to this season, uh, which is weird because obviously we all wanted the title. But, you know, if we end up winning the League Cup, the, the Club World Cup, going deep in the Champions League and maybe putting those FA Cup woes right, it will actually turn out like quite a ridiculous season, to be honest, uh, which will send everyone into the summer with a real high. Yeah, exactly. When we label it a quadruple like City did, but we haven't won the league or, or maybe even Champions League, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I think, look, League Cup, I said, I predicted the start of the season, we'd win it. So we're in the final now, so we've got to go and win it. Uh, FA Cup, we've got a good chance of any. The Champions League, I do have slight concerns of us winning it. I just think, you know, hopefully Reese coming back will be big for that. But I do worry about the fact that Alonso, uh, that Chua will not be on that left-hand side and it will probably be Alonso or someone else that just isn't quite venture well I think in the Champions League, those fine details we might struggle with, but we'll have to see. Obviously, the draw is dependent. Yeah, Premier League, just comfortable top four finish. Third, ideally. I Realistically, I wanted 80 points, but I think just looking at Chelsea played, I think we'd have to get another 33 from our final 14 games or something, or 13 games, which seems quite a tough ask, given just recent form. So... But I'd say, you know, as long as we're comfortably in the top four, I'd be very, very happy with that. We're going to slightly go back in time a little bit. Going to look at the players out on loan because this was kind of something we were leaning to for, for. Obviously, we moved on to that section. And, you know, I think, Danny, you, you were worried about, you know, the fact that Armando Brozier could be the next one we lose, i.e. that, you know, Chelsea get an offer from Sampton and we cash in. Um, you know, the loan roundup, Conor Gallagher is smashing at Crystal Palace. Uh, hopefully, he's got a place on your side. But your kind of thoughts on Gallagher and Brozier and how... We can maybe hopefully, but I guess, incorporate them into the Chelsea squad next season, maybe on what you ideally hope happens with Broja. With Broja, yeah, I, I just, if Chelsea had an attack that was firing, like Lukaku was banging in goals and, and we weren't having conversations about the whole, whole of the attack, I probably still wouldn't be happy with letting Broja go, but you maybe could excuse it. I don't think you can at the moment because of the discussion we've been having on this podcast about 
what do you do with the attack because they're not being prolific. And when you're seeing Brozier go to Southampton and he's scoring a lot of goals, um, at least from what we expected him to do, he's doing so well. And when you watch him play, I've, I've made the references to Diego as well. I just think he looks like such a physically imposing player who who seems to already be taking a lot on his shoulders. So it'd be worrying to let a player like that go, considering Chelsea's uh, problems in, in, in an attack. Gallagher, from everything we're here, apart from, say, Brozier, it seems to be a lot more optimistic that Chelsea, from very early on in, on in this season, have kind of decided that, no, we're not letting Gallagher go. Now, things can change, obviously. If someone comes in, like if Frank goes to Everton, and at the end of the season, Everton approached Chelsea with like a 40, 40 million bid, is Marina going to budge on that, potentially? Um, and would a player like Gallagher see that as a massive opportunity? Uh, to instantly get first-team football. I would like to think that Gallagher can look at this current squad and think, I can absolutely make a name for myself here. That He's he's gold dust. He's a goal-scoring midfielder. You know, he, he's a player that, he's a type of player that I've worried was kind of going out of sort of favour in, in the modern game in terms of the way midfield was going. But the fact that he keeps on popping up with goals, um, puts himself in the right position, seems to gauge when to make a run inside the box, Again, like we were saying with Thiago Silva, like with other players, I think there are things that you just can't teach. I think these are characteristics that I think Chelsea have to latch on to. And of course, the energy and the tactical intelligence of him, there are obviously comparisons to Mason Mount too. And you can only imagine in a, in a system where Tuchel wants to play fast football. I think he obviously wants us to press high. Gallagher just suits the profile of a player that Chelsea would be looking at in the market, or at least I'd hope they'd be looking for in the market. But there's, there's a player who we can bring back now has two seasons of Premier League football and really looks confident. And I, and I also think looks like a fearless player on the pitch. He looks like someone that isn't overawed by things. I mean, maybe that would change if he's asked to put on a Chelsea shirt. But I just think he looks like a player that can only get better. And I, and I really hope Chelsea capitalise on that. Yeah, Adam, your kind of thoughts on, on Conor Gallagher, I, you know, can he make the squad next year? I, look, you'd like to think so, given Sal and Ruben Loftus-Cheek have had decent minutes this year and you, you'd think like to think he's probably higher in the pecking order there. And then your kind of thoughts on on Brozier, because it does seem, you know, Southampton are interested, I think Newcastle interested in him. And despite him, you know, looking very, you know, being a very talented striker, you'd also go, he's, you know, for Chelsea, there's still probably for them, certainty, an element of the unknown, just given his sort of meteoric, you know, star rising trajectory. But, you know, even a few years ago, he was strong to hit goals for the academy. So kind of your just thoughts on what Chelsea might do with Brozier? I mean, it's a tricky one with him because... I think we still have to see how the rest of this season shakes out on, on Orlando because I think he's done brilliantly in his first half of the season. Um, he's proved himself a Premier League forward um, within a certain structure. Um, I think this has been pointed out by by Scott uh, Clayton, who's a care for youth. Um, quite a few of Armando's goals have, had, have come when he's had space to really run into an attack and we can get into the Timo stuff again here. Like that, that's what Werner does, and he can't do it at Chelsea that much. So there are still uh, sort of parts of Armando's game that need rounding out. We need to see maybe a little bit more, but I, I think you look at the raw material there and you have to go, yeah, this is a guy that Chelsea may need to, to sort of seriously take stock in it and, in, and sort of invest in going forward. Um, I think that's why the second half of this, of this season will be really interesting to see if he can continue this momentum into, into the summer and, if he does that, then then I'm sure Tucker will want to take a, a good look at him in preseason. Um, whether or not that 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 means if a big big bid comes in, Chelsea uh, flatly refuse it. I don't know. Um, there's there's always a feeling that there is deals to be done for the mark price, of course. Um, so 
you know, I wouldn't rule out anything one way or the other at this point with with Armando. Um, with Connor, I mean, Tuchel loved Gallagher by all accounts. Um, someone uh, sort of quite close to him said that that, uh, that, that Tuchel's been so impressed by how Gallagher went to Palace and was like instantly the, their best player, their most important player. That really impressed him just from a, a mentality standpoint um, because Tuchel liked him in pre-season. He was happy for him to stay around the club um, if Gallagher wanted to um, because of, of how he'd performed and, and what he brings. But the decision was taken between Gallagher and Tuchel and, and Chelsea that maybe the next step is a loan, another loan, keep playing your football, keep rounding out your, your, your skill set, keep developing. And that's obviously worked out really well for Gallagher. But I do think in the summer, we will see him uh, incorporated into the first team squad by Tuchel, because I say he, he, by all accounts, really likes Gallagher, really likes what he can bring. Um, all that being said, if somebody offers 70 million for Conor Gallagher, do Chelsea say no? I mean, maybe not, but, um, but you, you don't suspect something like that would happen. Yeah, fingers crossed Connor is in the squad next season. He certainly, you know, looks like a player. And say goals in midfield. Chelsea lack goals in midfield. So I think that's fairly. Um, finally, Frank Lampard. There's rumours he's going to be talk going to Everton. Um, Daniel, obviously, I'll get your thoughts about how you feel about Frank potentially being back in management, how you feel about, you know, just seeing him on the touchline, but also maybe a slight concern that Anthony Barry, he might take Anthony Barry with him. And obviously the impact we know that Anthony Barry has had, you know, since joining Chelsea. I don't know how to feel about it, to be honest. I mean, I've, I've been asked to go on an Everton uh, YouTube channel to speak about it. Um, and I've actually had to go back and, and think a little bit more about the, the 1920 season and kind of looking at Everton squad and how, is there any comparisons? Are there any things that I could see Frank um, going in and doing with that squad? I mean, apparently he's been offered the job. So now it's just about him taking it, apparently. Uh, I don't know. It, it's hard. I, I was having this conversation with my dad actually this morning um, and he was like, I don't, you know, he, his, his honest thoughts was, I don't want to see Frank managing anyone else. Um, and he was kind of in this weird conundrum where he's like, I don't, I don't want him to do amazingly well because he doesn't like uh, Merseyside clubs, um, but he doesn't want Frank to fail, obviously. Um, so it's in this very weird state. And, and I agree, you know, um, you're already kind of thinking April the 30th when Chelsea go to Goodison Park. Uh, and it's going to be a very obviously weird occasion and all the narrative that will come around that. Um, Anthony Barry, yeah, obviously has, has been incredible. You know, you look at the the marked improvement at set pieces since he arrived under Frank in uh, the summer of 2020 up to now. And obviously all the goals we've got from set pieces, it's, you know, it's, it, at times it's mastered the attacking flaws we've had. You know, the, the amount of goals that Thiago has scored, that Rudiger scored this year. Um, obviously it helps to have Mason on, the, on set piece deliveries nowadays. You know, he's obviously such a consistent um, player that you can trust on that. But, you know, Barry, um, I think it, him a bit like when Steve Holland left a few years ago, you know, these are characters that we don't really think about and appreciate as much that there is a coaching team. It's not just all about the head coach because obviously it's such a big role. You need to um, put different roles to other people. And obviously Barry, the way Tuchel's spoken about Barry is so um, impressed by him. And I think Chelsea kind of realized that they are going to lose him at some point because it's not just the idea of him going to Everton and being assistant to Frank. There are apparently, you know, League Two, League One clubs coming in for him. I think Fleetwood may have been one of them a few months ago that apparently wanted him as their head coach. Um, and I'm intrigued to see who takes that role if Barry leaves. Um, there could also be a chance that Joe Edwards may leave um, as well, because obviously he was a part of Frank's original coaching staff at, at Chelsea. So it's going to be interesting and in, in how that potentially hurts or changes the dynamic of the coaching staff under Tuchel. 
Yeah, Adam, I guess your thoughts on, on Frank going to Everton, given that Everton kind of seems to be almost a manager's graveyard. I can't think of really any manager who's gone to Everton in recent years, but it's kind of come out of it relatively unscathed, other than probably Carlo Ancelotti, who then, you know, did a recent, de- reasonably decent job and has gone to Madrid, you know, gone back to Madrid. But your kind of thoughts on Frank taking Everton, like all the different challenges he's faced, and then your thoughts on, you know, you know, actual, you know, the, the bigger pro- the bigger issue for us is that Anthony, you know, potentially losing Anthony Barry to, to Everton with him. Yeah, I think it's it's a risk on on Frank's part. Um, he's waited a long time to to get back into a club that he felt was right that would he felt that he would be supported in, and from the outside looking in, at least it doesn't look like Everton would be that that club to do that, given the way they've churned through head coaches. Um, but I, I think Daniel's put this out uh, either in an article or a tweet um, that L- Lampard. Lampard has an ego, of course he does, and it's what helped him succeed as a player, this belief that he would prove people wrong and he would get better. Um, it's what drove him on to becoming, in my opinion, Chelsea's greatest ever player, um, and I'm sure that's still there as a coach. He wants to go and prove people wrong. He thinks he can do a better job than than those um, who have come before, and you can respect that. You can maybe think it's a bit foolhardy, but um, I'm sure he'll go there and, and believe he can turn it around at Everton and, and be successful. And there, there is a lure of Everton. They're a big, big club, historically big. They've got a new stadium coming. There are positives. I can see I can see the positives, but I, I can also see the big negatives of, of that squad and how they've gone through head coaches. Um, I just, I'm envious of Daniel having chats with his dad about Frank Lampard over breakfast. That sounds lovely. Um, I don't get that here. Um, just, yeah, on Anthony Barry, yeah, I can only echo what Daniel said. Um, he has proved a really, really important part of Tuchel's coaching staff. Um, he is the guy, if you're at any, any game and Chelsea are defending or, or have an attacking set piece, he'll be the guy who hops out the dugout and, and then gives instructions to the players um, as to where they should be and, and what the routine is. So he is very important. He would be a loss, um, and I'm interested. I'd be interested to know what role he'd be offered at Everton because he does have quite a big responsibility at Chelsea. But maybe Everton, he's going to be offered even more responsibility within the coaching team, and then it does become a bit trickier maybe to keep him. But um, but yeah, hopefully Chelsea do because I do think he's a very big part of why we've been successful this season from set pieces, if not the main reason. Yeah, and Chelsea scored a ridiculous amount of goals from, from set pieces this year. As I said, the thing I just look forward to is when Twitter inevitably blames Frank. If he loved Chelsea, he wouldn't have taken Anthony Barry from us, even though Anthony Barry is a, a grown man who can make his own decisions. I look forward to, to when I see that line on Chelsea Twitter. But yeah, it, it would certainly be interesting to see what happens with Frank if he goes to, to Everton. I think a lot of us, you know, I said Everton's probably a club, but then they don't really affect us. But at the same time, it's it's a weird one. It's probably not like Derby where we were sort of going, yeah, let go and get Derby up, you know, get him get him promoted. We're probably thinking, yeah, doing doing all right job. If you can roll over the us, that'll be quite nice. If you can take points against you know fellow competitors, that'll be nice. But it, it's a weird one. It doesn't feel like we'll be following him and hoping he does well. But at the same time, I'm literally not writing fast. an article right now about the fixtures against Chelsea's rivals because uh, obviously you're now looking at the calendar. Um, and he faces just to quickly run for it, he faces Man City on the 26th of February at home. He would face Spurs away, where obviously he had a great result in December 2019 on the 7th of March. He faces West Ham away on the 2nd of April, Man United at home on the 9th of April, the Merseyside Derby at Anfield on the 23rd of April, and that's a week before obviously he plays Chelsea. Um, and then the final, I think it's the final day of the season, he's away at Arsenal, so he could give Chelsea a little bit of, of help 
um, in our hope that we don't have any top four drama on the final day of the season. So you never know. Yeah, no, if, if he goes, you're going to see the, uh, if he does get confirmed, you're going to see that that clip of him having a go at Jurgen Klopp going around Twitter a lot. I mean, come on, that's like, that's exactly what you want as an Everton fan, isn't it? And a coach who's going to try and put Jurgen Klopp back in his box if he gets too, too uppity. Surely that's, if you're an Everton fan, you're loving that. Yeah, no, I think I saw I saw a tweet yesterday from Everton fan who sort of come up with a Frank Lampard chant. Like, to the tune of like the Southgate one for Atomic Kitten or whatever. It references, you know, scoring against them in the 2009 FA Cup final. But, you know, Rafa's gone, you know, so they're all, they're all very happy now. Um, yeah, it will certainly be interesting to see. I do think actually, you know, with Frank, while there, will, there might be issues upstairs, I do actually think he is very good at building a connection with fans. And I do think ultimately the fact that he's not Steven Gerrard um, and the fact that, you know, there was always the Gerrard Lampard comparisons. I think they'll obviously be, you know, the Everton fans, you know, will, will kind of latch on to, to the fact that he's Frank Lampard. There's a lot that will be, you know, I do think that he is a manager they could certainly get behind. Um, he will probably play some exciting football, some, you know, nerve-wracking football. But again, Everton are a team that concedes goals anyway. So I don't think, you know, Frank should necessarily worry too much about that. He'll have a decent keeper and goal. He'll have some decent attackers. And I guess it will be interesting. You know, are there anyone from Chelsea that you always think he could potentially, you know, take an interest in? I mean, obviously, we'd probably love him to, you know, take Ross Barkley from us. Um, but being the past more serious, could it be... You know, Ruben Loftus-Cheek could that potentially actually be a really good career move for him because Ruben Loftus-Cheek seems to be a player that you know has maybe fallen down the pecking order slightly in in recent sort of weeks or months at Chelsea. Doesn't seem to really have been the same player since you know he was earlier on in the season. Um, I'll start with you, Adam. I mean, I'm sure there's probably players he, he likes at Chelsea that he would consider taking to Everton, of course. Um, and Everton haven't been afraid to to spend money. Well, not so much this season, but previously. So if there is that money there, then I'm, I'm sure he'd look at Chelsea. I'm sure he'd look at players that he, he knows and trusts and has maybe worked with before. Um, Ruben kind of feels like the easy one because, yeah, he's, he's you know, he, he, he's an academy lad. He's worked with Frank before, so it, it kind of fits and he's not a, a sort of regular at Chelsea. Um, just thinking off the top of my head, I mean, there's not, Really many obvious ones that I think that he like always you know ideal world I'm sure he'd take you know Mason and Reese in a heartbeat but there's not a chance um, he'd get those so um, maybe you could look at someone you know talking about like uh, Hakim Ziyech or Pulisic if it came to it in the summer like you know Frank likes like Ziyech was a massive fan of him was a key reason he brought him to the club he worked well under uh, uh, Lampard Pulisic whether or not they'd see that as as a step down I don't know um, they may do and, and may not be interested but. Yeah, be, besides sort of a, a Ruben or maybe a Loney like a Connor, I mean, it's hard to see him really plucking one of Chelsea's sort of key players away, to be honest. Fair enough, fair enough. Sorry, boys, I forgot there's one last topic I forgot to do. Lack of January business, a concern or not? Just quick thoughts, Miss. Daniel, obviously, there's a lot of clamour of star window. We need a left wing back. We need a left wing back. We've seen us go to a back four. We've seen Milan Sarr kind of play as a left back. Is perhaps the, the need for, in the immediate, like, in the immediacy to the end of the season to get a left wing back maybe kind of over now and maybe it's one of those we just go in the summer or are you a bit disappointed that we've not really seen any sort of January activity? No, I'm not I'm not um, as angry as other people are about this. I, you know, I kind of shrug my shoulders about it because, you know, it's... Um, I always worry that Chelsea are going to rush in for someone that they don't really want or didn't really track for a long period of time and we end up being stuck with another Emerson situation in a couple of years time. Um, you know, as ironic as it is, we're trying to get Emerson back. Um, I think he's kind of the consequence of not great recruitment in January. Uh, so you don't want to see that. And, 
you know, I'd, I'd like to see Malang Sar play a bit more at left back. I, you know, I think it's an interesting solution that Tuchel's come up with. You'd like to think in the FA Cup, Lewis Hall can get some more minutes potentially. I know that's, I know left back, left wing back isn't his preferred position. He's a central midfielder, but, you know, if he's going to get minutes, you'd think there's a position there. And obviously Kennedy came back who can be used as an emergency as well. And as much as I may be criticising, Marcus Alonso is still a player that has won a lot for Chelsea and on his day can still be a, a really influential player. Um, so I'd actually wait. And especially if Reese coming back very, very soon. I We saw in, in November and December that Tucker was willing to try him on the left. And, you know, given Reese's quality and mobility, you know, you'd back him to play well and still quite effective uh, if he can cut in onto that right foot. So, um, yeah, I, I think actually waiting for the summer is probably the smarter play here from Chelsea. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, this pod has gone on long enough. Both of you boys are at work on a Saturday, so I shall let you go. But before you go, big thanks for coming on. Uh, Daniel, before you go, why don't you give yourself one last plug where people can find you? And if you've got any, you know, interesting articles for people to keep an eye out, you know, coming out this weekend or early next week. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. A real great pleasure. Uh, so really, articles I am writing a bit about, obviously, Frank, today. Um, one of those was just a, a question you asked, Adam, was in terms of players who could be leaving or could Lampard could take. And that's not only permanently. I, I was looking at some potential loan moves for next season, if he's still there, obviously, uh, by the time we get to the summer. Um, and looking at Jorginho, I've written a piece about him. Is it the right time to depart with Jorginho at the end of this season? Um, I'm trying to think of other ones recently that have come out or about to come out. I am going to write a little bit about the system and kind of that consistency and attack with with Hakim Ziyech working really well. And especially now we're moving into the run into the season, basically, and, and trying to find that consistent rhythm that, that Chelsea have been lacking for some time in the final third, really all season, um, and how Tuchel can find that. And is Hakim Ziyech kind of a, a big part of, of starting that process? So... Yeah, at Son of Chelsea is, is really the best place to go for all my content um, because, you know, obviously I post a lot of my articles there. There's a link on, in my bio that takes you to the author page where you can see all my articles on Football London. So that's probably the perfect place to, to, to see everything. Yeah, make sure you check Daniel out. Obviously, great content he provides. And a big thanks to Adam for coming on. Uh, Adam, just before you go, tell people where they can find you. And obviously, if you've got any more hit pieces on Jorginho coming out in the future for, for people to have a read of. <laughs> I like Jorginho, and uh, yeah, anyway, we're not going to get into this. Um, yeah, no, just come Adam Newson on Twitter. Um, obviously, yeah, have all those sort of usual day-to-day stuff. Um, if you do want to read a specific piece, I think it's pinned at the moment on my Twitter is the year, uh, looking back on Tickle's year. Um, spoke to quite a lot of different people around the club for it um, and some interesting stories in there. So, um, so yeah, go do read that, please, if you haven't. Um, apart from that, yeah, we'll just be building up slowly. Well, we've got the transfer window to see out and then we'll be building up slowly to Plymouth and the Club World Cup. Yep. Are you off to Dubai for the Club World Cup, Adam, or not quite wankled about one yet? No, no, not yet. Okay, well, fingers crossed you get to enjoy a week or so in Dubai in the sun. Um, as for us, we're on Twitter, at that Chelsea Pod, on Instagram, at that Chelsea Pod, whenever I tweet the pod out, like, retweet, share it about. Uh, we're on all usual podcast platform Fridays, Apple, Spotify, etc. And just play it to anyone who's got a functioning pair of ears, please. Uh, that would be greatly appreciated. Uh, but until the next episode, everybody, keep the blue flag flying high. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. 
Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.